at uh, this morning. It's a charismatic speaker. Uh, it's on hallowed ground. And the decision that the people make coming after that speech and that talk has implications that could change the course of reality. So um, as we dig in, just keep that in mind. I want to uh, just quickly draw attention to a resource that we have each week uh, that supports our study. Uh, that's our teaching guide. Uh, it's available on Grace's website, and Feli Lawson does a phenomenal job each week putting that document together. It goes into a lot more depth than even what we'll be able to cover today. And um, maybe it's just because I was paying a lot more attention to it as I was looking at the content, but it is really, really rich this week. So take a look um, as a part of your community groups and just as a part of your personal study as well. If you would, uh, pray with me. Lord, let us be your servants under your command. We will no longer be our own. We will give up ourselves to your will in all things. We will be satisfied that Christ will give us our place and work. Lord, make us what you will. We put ourselves fully in your hands. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let us be full. Let us be empty. Let us have all things. Let us have nothing. We freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and your disposal. This week, we are continuing our progression through the narrative lectionary. And uh, the narrative lectionary is really a, a four-year cycle of readings. And the goal is to give a breadth of the scripture and the different voices that we see in scripture all the way from creation uh, to the early church. And so that's kind of what we're marching through right now. Last week, and you'll see this illustration that I stole from the Bible Project. Um, those people are amazing. Um, last week, we looked at Moses receiving the Ten Commandments and the covenant from God and the people entering into that covenant with God. And so today, we fast forward about 70 years, and Moses has passed away, and Joshua has taken over leadership of the nation of Israel in Moses' place. And now Joshua is at the end of his life. Um, he has led the people of Israel into the promised land and through a significant number of conquests um, to take the promised land. And so now he is nearing the end of his life. This is the last chapter in Joshua, and he is calling all of the people together to share some parting words. And understanding Joshua is really critical to understanding our scripture today. He's the speaker in this text, uh, and he must have been a powerful figure to behold. Maybe not even Denzel Washington could hold a candle to this guy. Um, he, uh, let's, let, I want to just go through a couple of his accolades here. Uh, for starters, he succeeds Moses. So um, most of us will be familiar with Moses. This is the guy who brought the Israelite nation out of 400 years of slavery, um, brought many miracles as a part of that uh, with God's power. Uh, then, as a part of that exodus, uh, he literally split an ocean uh, he had a habit of talking to God directly on mountaintops, and he is the guy who brought us the Ten Commandments. So that is a fairly uh, significant resume and big shoes to fill, and Joshua does that. And Joshua not only fills those shoes, but he leads the nation of Israel on an impressive spree of military victories. Uh, you might be familiar with a couple of those, not the least of which is the Battle of Jericho. 
Uh, and at one point, uh, and I did, a, I did enough looking to say this, but uh, you can check me if, if, you, if you know someone else. I think Joshua is the only person on record in Scripture who commands God to do something, and God is like, okay. Uh, they're, they're trying to win a military battle, and they need daylight to, to finish out this military battle, and Joshua says, God, you need to hold the sun in place. And God's like, okay, I'm going to do that for you. Um, so this is a guy with some significant audacity and courage. He's probably a fairly severe figure um, when you get around him. And uh, it, it seems like at times in the story of Joshua that his radical trust and his sheer force of will is, is what's holding the nation of Israel together. So he calls together the people of Israel, and the stakes are really high because if the people don't continue on with the covenant, God, uh, Joshua knows what will happen, and that is the destruction of the nation of Israel. If we don't come together, we will be destroyed. So he begins, and we're looking at Joshua 24, and you'll see the words up on the screen. We're in Joshua 24, but Joshua begins by encouraging the people to remember where they've been. <clears throat> so Joshua assembled all the Israelite tribes at Shechem. He summoned Israel's elders, rulers, judges, and leaders, and they appeared before God. Now, I'm not going to stop this often, but really quick on this little piece. Um, Shechem is a very historic and symbolic location. So, you know, when we look at that Remember the Titans clip, you talk about the significance of Gettysburg um, to our history. This place had that type of significance for them. This is where God originally made the promise to Abraham that he would make the Israelites great. So there's a little uh, tag in our, in our uh, learning guide. Uh, definitely go research Shechem if that's, that sort of thing is interesting to you. The second part of this is we're using the NET translation here. In several other translations, they use a different terminology. Here it says they appeared before God. Uh, in other translations, it says, and they presented themselves before God. That's a very specific language that we see in Scripture that means that they got into a mindset where they realized that through a messenger, in this case Joshua, they would be hearing directly from God himself. The last time we see that terminology used is actually in Exodus 19 when they received the Ten Commandments. So this is a significant event and a mindset that they are in to hear directly from the voice of God. So let's keep reading. Joshua told all the people, Here is what the Lord God of Israel says. In the distant past, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor. They worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from beyond the Euphrates and brought him into the entire land of Canaan. I made his descendants numerous. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I assigned Mount Seir, while Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron. And I struck Egypt down when I intervened in their land. Then I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you arrived at the sea. The Egyptians chased your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Your fathers cried out for help to the Lord. He made the area between you and the Egyptians dark and then drowned them in the sea. You witnessed with your very own eyes what I did in Egypt. You lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then... I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought with you, but I handed them over to you. You conquered their land, and I destroyed them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, launched an attack against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to call down judgment on you. I refused to respond to Balaam. 
He kept prophesying good things about you, and I rescued you from his power. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The leaders of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, fought with you, but I handed them over to you. I sent terror ahead of you to drive out before you the two Amorite kings. I gave you the victory. It was not by your swords or bows. I gave you a land in which you had not worked hard, and you took up residence in cities you did not build, and you were eating the produce of vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Not unlike the scene we watched at the beginning, Joshua returns the people to a place of significant historical value to them, and he revisits their history. He recounts God's faithfulness, even in the, in the last 70 years. I'm just going to recap. God calls Abraham's family out of idol worship. The implication here is that Abraham's family was not worshiping God. They were worshiping false idols. God frees the nation from centuries of slavery to the Egyptians. God provides for the people through decades of desert wandering. Um, we have bread falling from the sky and water flowing out of rocks to provide for people. And then God gives people victory in the conquest of the land that he promised to them. So um, if you stepped out for a minute, uh, the folks who were in here participated in a question and uh, a discussion. And the question was, where were you five years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? Where were you 15 years ago? And we do that because we wanted to kind of bring this idea to the surface. There's a natural logic when we revisit the past and learn from it. Um, but there's actually scientific evidence that backs up this practice. So it's, it's uh, uh, you know, some of us journal, some of us, uh, you know, we share our lives with friends, some of us post it on Instagram, um, but revisiting those memories actually helps us remember those memories better. Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a concept called adaptive forgetting, and so they've actually done research on this where if you spend time to highlight things in your past, the next time that you want to recall it, it will be more clear for you, even maybe than that time that you're calling it. And so there's value in not only looking at our own stories, but the stories in our community here at Grace Church and in our broader families to say, what has God done for us in our past? And how, do, how are we making sure that we remember those things? And there's some interesting things about this because when you highlight those memories, it also gives you the opportunity to fade other memories that you may not want to forget, um, that you may want to forget. Uh, you know, for example, I like to forget when I've screwed things up. You'll notice in this entire history that Joshua gives and that God gives to the people of Israel, he does not highlight their failures. Hmm. So when we prune our memory or we intentionally remember to remember, we can actually strengthen those memories. So in light of what God has done, the people now have a choice. So we come back to Joshua. He's laid out. Look at what God has done for you. And he continues, now obey the Lord and worship him with integrity and loyalty. Put aside the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and worship the Lord. If you have no desire to worship the Lord, then choose today whom you will worship, whether it be gods whom your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But I and my family we will worship the Lord. The people responded, Far be it from us to abandon the Lord 
so that we can worship other gods. For the Lord our God took us and our fathers out of slavery in the land of Egypt and performed these awesome miracles before our very eyes. He continually protected us as we traveled and when we passed through the nations. The Lord drove out from before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. So we too will worship the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua warned the people, you will not keep worshiping the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God who will not forgive your rebellion or your sins. If you abandon the Lord and, <clears throat> and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you. He will bring disaster on you and destroy you, though he once treated you well. It's not a very good sales pitch. The people said to Joshua, no, we really will worship the Lord. Joshua said to the people, do you agree to be witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to worship the Lord? They replied, we are witnesses. And Joshua said, now put aside the foreign gods that are among you and submit to the Lord God of Israel. Then the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord, our God, and obey him. There is no greater opportunity than to respond to God's holy authority and absolute worthiness to reign. His character, actions, and faithfulness to us are always infinitely perfect. Joshua's command is the only reasonable response, isn't it? So, Last year, a good friend of ours was babysitting some kids actually here at Grace, and uh, she spent about an hour with our four-year-old daughter, Addie, and uh, we were picking up Addie. She came out, and she said, hey, so been hanging out with Addie, and um, she is going to be capable of great things uh, in, in the future, but I want to recommend a book to you. Yeah, it's always great when you're like, oh, wow, she's four and I've already screwed her up for life. Um, I want to recommend a book to you that saved my relationship with my son. And this is the book. The title of the book is, You Can't Make Me, and then in little parentheses, but I can be persuaded. And, uh, and, and it's really about how we have, what a strong-willed child does and, and, and how that works. And I shared with somebody this week, I think I actually learned more about myself um, than I did about my kid reading this book. But just to give you a flavor, the author shares a story um, in this book when she's driving down the road and she sees an exit here sign. And her internal reaction is a, a little bit of a, hey, nobody tells me what to do. And uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty extreme. But if my opening prayer today made you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then you too might be strong-willed like me. Uh, and so one of the key lessons from this book for parenting a strong-willed child is to provide choices. We are more likely to take ownership and mastery of our destiny when we have a real choice. So in the text this week, Israel has a real choice. And in that choice, they have ownership of their destiny. We have the same choice. We can choose our idols or we can not. For me, the ability to choose is an indispensable aspect of my faith. Frankly, if there wasn't a choice, I would opt out. 
If this is not you, and that does not sound familiar, then praise the Lord and be thankful for that. So Joshua articulates a clear fork in the road choice. You're going to choose God, or are you going to choose something else? You have to choose something. And he empowers them with a real choice. He even, he even kind of negates their original choice and says, are you really, really sure? Because this could be your own undoing. And they say, yes, this is what we want. And it's easy to focus on Joshua's personal commitment. In fact, you'll see these examples up here. We do this um, all the time. We proudly echo his piety in our homes, on our mugs, and all matter of paraphernalia. And this is not a bad thing, but sometimes we take it a little bit far. Yeah. I think there's one more. I almost bought this one. Sometimes we take it a little bit overboard. But I would like to posit here that the more striking commitment is not Joshua's, but the commitment of the community, the commitment of a collective of people to a common covenant with God. How much more complicated is that when you think about the nation of Israel? I love this quote uh, from Brent Strawn. Israel in Joshua 24 is neither deluded nor self-incriminating, but rather in love. Not a syrupy, sweet sort of puppy love, but rather a firm, sober-eyed, committed, considered, covenantal kind of love. This is the kind of love that is ready to sign on for life, for better and for worse, with holy God and with jealous God, with punishing God, and altogether benevolent God. Israel swears their devotion and formally promises to serve the Lord or face the consequences of choosing a different path. Just highlight that piece of scripture again. We will worship the Lord, our God, and obey him. I think the implications for us are pretty self-explanatory. What will we do with this choice and with the choices that we have in front of us as a community? Israel understands God's role in their reality, and they recognize the power of his covenant and the lack of any real reasonable alternatives, and they make their choice. Let's keep reading. That day, Joshua drew up an agreement for the people, and he established rules and regulations for them in Shechem. Joshua wrote these words on the law, uh, on the law scroll of God. He then took a large stone and set it uh, up there under the oak tree near the Lord's shrine. Joshua said to all the people, look, this stone will be a witness against you, for it has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness against you if you deny your God. When Joshua dismissed the people, they went to their allotted portions of land. So they make rules, they set up a monument, and they solidify this covenant as a community. When we encounter the radical freedom and interdependent power of covenant reality, we, can't, we cannot help but respond. There is no choice. You must respond. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. We see echoes of Romans 12 here, and I just want to call it out really quick. In Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I highlighted in red here, I just wanted to call out the similarities between what we see the people of Israel do in the Old Testament 
and what we see Paul exhorting believers to do in the New Testament. Present your bodies. Prepare yourself to hear directly from God because he is going to show you his faithfulness. This is your worship. In our Joshua passage, we see worship listed 15 times just in the snippet that we looked at today. This is a critical part of how the Israelites engage with covenant and respond to covenant. Worship is a two-part word in both Hebrew and Greek, and uh, we've talked about this before, but the first part is the body language that demonstrates respect and submission. It means to bow down, to kneel, and to prostrate yourself. Part two of the meaning of the word worship is about doing something for God that demonstrates sacrifice and obedience and to offer and to serve. So I'm not going to dig into and unpack worship completely. There are a lot more qualified people to do that. But it is a very critical part of understanding the scripture and how we respond to covenant in their context and also in our context. So I'm going to take, I couldn't, I was wondering if I was going to share this or not. And I'm going to because it's just so cool to me. So uh, I'm not a neuroscientist or a neurologist or anybody who knows really anything about the brain. Um, but I do want to share this little thing that I learned about over the last couple of weeks. And there, there are two terms that I want to, want to share. One is neurogenesis, and one is neuroplasticity. And there are two ideas with these, with these concepts. Neurogenesis is the idea that we can actually generate new brain cells. We can create new brain matter. Neuroplasticity is the idea that we can reroute the way neurons move through our brains. So you're probably wondering, Donnie, why do I care about this? So I did some research this week on, okay, let's say I wanted to reconfigure my brain. Uh, let's say that I wanted to generate new neurons or reroute old ones, because there's plenty of things about myself that I would like to change. And so I just wanted to share four of the, there's a whole list, but I just wanted to share four of the ways that you can rewire your brain. First, intermittent fasting. This was literally the top suggestion from a secular journal and is a huge part of our Christian faith. Radical community, and I'm, now I'm adapting this one. I'm saying community. They said travel, but I'm saying radical community because Paul Nussbaum, uh, a neuropsychologist at the University of Pittsburgh, claims that new and challenging situations cause the brain to sprout dendrites. Dendrites are little neural extensions. So new and challenging situations can grow your brain. And if you don't think that if you're all in and leaning into community, you're not going to encounter new and challenging situations, I got news for you. Learning an instrument, the association of motor actions with specific sounds and visual patterns leads to the formation of new neural networks. So if you ever thought that you should not follow along with the hand motions when we're worshiping, think again, because you can make your brain bigger. The last one on here was creating, creating artwork. <clears throat> Whether it's mosaics, jewelry, pottery, painting, or drawing, the combination of motor and cognitive processing will promote better brain connectivity. We create artwork, or dare I say, monuments to remember. And the act of creating those monuments can make our brains think differently. Fasting, community, music, creating artwork. These are methods of worship, and these are methods of brain transformation. We can change our brains. 
And that's exactly how the Israelites respond in the reality of God's covenant. They reject the gods of their ancestors, and they worship, and they erect a monument. This isn't a mystical ascension. We may literally be able to renew our minds. The implications of this are astounding. You are not condemned to repeat your parents' mistakes. You're not doomed to repeat your own mistakes. In covenant freedom, we church are not cursed to commit the sins of our predecessors. We're free. So God chooses us. The people of Israel present themselves to God in an act of worship. They do not conform to the pattern of this world, and they choose freedom. They commit as a community to choose covenant. They are made free from slavery and from the idols of their ancestors. And the results are staggering. Immediately following this passage, the nation of Israel continues their military conquest, and they capture Jerusalem, like literally not even 10 verses later. So in light of covenant reality, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? And I think it's easy for us to look at this commitment as a one-time thing. Uh, sometimes I think we look at our relationship with God as, hey, I'm going to make this one-time decision, and that's it. It's a Ronco Showtime rotisserie. If anybody knows that, it's a, their, their slogan was set it and forget it. We must continually choose. Through the next uh, series of books in the Bible, the Israelites pop in and out of covenant reality with God. They choose sometimes to do it and sometimes not to, and we do this as well. And I think this is maybe a more accurate depiction of what our relationship with God looks like on a regular basis. It's more nuanced and it's messy. But the Israelites model here our behavior for encountering covenant. So if the worship team wants to come back up, I'm wrapping up. When we remember where we have been, we bring clarity to God's faithfulness and covenant. That act of intentionally remembering is critical to us continuing to move forward in, God, in God's faithfulness. We see Moses do it, and in this passage we see Joshua do it as well. With these clear-eyed memories, we must choose who we will serve. Everyone serves someone. If it's not the God of the Bible, then I encourage you to think really, really hard about who it is Because even if you're as strong-willed as I am, you still have to choose someone. When we respond to covenant reality and worship, we can literally, physically transform and renew our minds. Not just as individuals, but as a collective to our ultimate freedom. So now we have an opportunity to join together in worship. And we join in communion. And we will approach this table to remember the ultimate covenant maker and renewer of minds and the owner of the covenant that we live under today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Donnie. It was so good. Hey, um,
Sorry, I'm going to do this to you guys, Holtz, but uh, I do want us to do communion. But I thought maybe before we do that, oh, you guys go ahead and get everything prepared. No, go ahead and get everything prepared. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Deb. Go ahead. But while we're doing that, while they're getting us ready for communion, I know that we as a church have a lot of um, big decisions, some big, some small in front of us coming up, right? Just some things that are going on in the life of the church, nothing major, nothing crazy. Don't want to start a big rumor mill, but the leadership of the church always has big things coming up, big things that we were deciding. And, and I was encouraged this week by a note from Lucian that said, you know, we probably should pray more together collectively as a church um, without necessarily having all of the specifics, but just praying that we might have unity in the conversation about who we will serve and how we will do that. And so, um, Brian, could I actually call on you? to help lead us in that prayer before we get started with the communion? Thanks.
consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow turning back though none go for worshiping with us today. We have a few announcements. Um, one thing that is important to our church community is that we give as much of ourselves as possible. So I want to bring to your attention, we have collection baskets out in the lobby for LifeSource and Ernie, the founder of LifeSource, happens to be here today. Wave at Ernie. Thank you. We've had a, a long relationship of support with them, so bring your canned goods, hygiene items to put in that basket. We also have the little free pantry out front. The hinge door is off of it for right now, so don't put anything in that can't be rained on at the moment. But that is also something, just cut out the middleman. You just walk your little self up there and put some food in there for people who need it. 
And the last thing is we're going to learn about Beautiful Lives Boutique tomorrow, 7 p.m. Women, come join us, and let's find out about how we can clean out our closets and help some of our sisters that may be looking for a hand up to go get a new job or to start over in some way. So join us tomorrow at 7. And now a benediction for us as we go about our day and our week. May our God, who establishes covenant relationship with those who seek to enter the kingdom, be with you always. May Jesus Christ, who seals the new covenant, bring you peace. May the Holy Spirit guide your life both now and forever. Go in peace to serve the Lord. Have a great day. Amen. Amen.